From today, dialing 999 won't get you the emergency services. And that's not the only thing that's changing. Nicer ambulances, faster response times, and better looking drivers. Meaning they're not just the emergency services, they're your emergency services. So remember the new number. 0118999881999712533 that's 0118999881999912533 hello i've had a bit of a tumble well that's easy to remember 0118999 Eight eight one nine 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 one one nine seven two five three. <sighs> Welcome to the Sunday movie marathon. What is that? What what is that from, Max? <laughs> the IT crowd. That was. Oh my god! <laughs> it's one of my favourite moments right. in that show. It's so ridiculous. Is it? <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Woo. Is How that on doing? Netflix? I need to watch that. Apparently. Ben recommended yeah. it. Oh yeah, I remember watching it when I was uh, when I was a kid on E4 when it used to play on that along with friends before that moved over to Comedy Central and uh, yeah, I enjoyed what I, what I uh, remember. I haven't watched it in years. Yeah, I just did a binge through of it uh, for the first time. Really great, really good show. Yeah, how many seasons are there? I think five, but like the fifth one only has like Ooh. two episodes. Well, I've got to self isolate now, so I've got. Well, he's got time to walk. Come down with the Rona. Yep. That's what it seems. Um, other than that, yeah, we're all good. Max, how are you, Chris? Yeah, I'm good. I'm ready to talk about two great movies and one movie that I don't really know what happened. Yeah. Fuck me, honestly. The, some, the recommendations this week were absolute dog shite. I'm just saying that now. <laughs> it's been... It's been a mixed bag. Um... On different ends of the spectrum for all of us, I suppose. So, well, I can't wait to hear what you say about Max's recommendation. I fucking knew it was your... Honestly, I'm, I'm watching this film and I have no idea who recommended it because I completely forgot. And then I was sitting for it, I was like, this is definitely something Max would recommend because it's fucking weird. Indeed. Well, until we get to that, Chris recommended a movie. I, I did. Um, it's a film called Paprika, directed by Satoshi or Satoshi Khan. It's an anime movie from 2006. I picked it because the director did a film called Perfect Blue, which I really love and I wanted to see this. Um, the plot, it has a plot, I guess. Go um, on, what's it about? There's, like a de- there's a device. There's a device where you can go inside people's dreams with this device and it gets stolen and the thief basically uses it to enter people's minds even when they're awake and bring things from their dream into their conscious state. So the creators of the device, along with a police inspector, have to um, track down this guy and stop him, I guess. Right. Honestly, yeah. I had to <laughs> read so. the synopsis for this film because even, even after watching it, I had no idea what went on. Honestly, it was so confused. The beginning of the movie, yeah. when they're in the circus, I was like, what the fuck? I was so confused. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I did have to stop it halfway through and then go onto the wiki and then read everything that had happened up until where I was. And even then, I still was like kind of in the dark about it. I was like, all right, well, I guess those things happened, but it doesn't really explain anything that happens. 
And I think that's like a big thing with this movie is that people, I feel like a lot of people don't understand what this movie is going for, and but they really like it anyway. And I sort of got the opposite reaction where I kind of got where it was coming from, but mostly not really. And it just kind of frustrated me. Yeah, I like... I like a lot of what the film's doing visually and I think it's a very creative movie. Um, I basically like all the imagery and set pieces and stuff, but I don't understand what was happening plot-wise and I feel like that kind of took me out the film because I was just constantly confused because they're just constantly throwing stuff at you and it gets really disorienting and it's not like something like a David Lynch film, like Inland Empire or something where it's intentionally non-linear and isn't supposed to make complete sense this it, it seems like there is definitely a story but i don't think they do a good job of conveying what the story is because by the end of it i had no clue what happened yeah you compared this to like inception like inception took a lot of inspiration from this and when i was watching it, i was like maybe there are like bits and pieces of it but i don't feel like it was like completely inspired by paprika for one thing, I think Inception tells a much more cohesive story, whereas I don't really think this does. It's sort of all over the place. Well, yeah. This is the thing. I think if you have to pause a movie whilst you're watching it to um, Google the syn- synopsis of either where you're at or just do what I did while I was looking at the um, synopsis, I even went onto YouTube and, and watched a few, um, well, tried to watch a few reviews about it to see if anyone else could make sense of it. I think if you've got to do stuff like that, for for a film especially, it's not great. I'll, I'll be honest. Depends what the film is going for, though. I think there are movies that I've watched on a first go-through, and I thought, well, that was... I didn't really understand a lot of what that was trying to convey. And then I go back to it later, and I understand it bit by bit more and more. Like, Hereditary is a film like that that I love and that I learn more from every time. But it was from that first viewing where I was just hooked on it that made me want to go back. I don't really want to go back to Paprika. And as much as I think that, you know, some of the dream sequences are very interesting and have really nice animation um, or just, like, the artistic style overall, which wasn't, like, completely different to other... Uh, Japanese anime movies that I've seen so it didn't really jump out to me in that aspect but maybe where it tried to play with uh, what it could do with animation in regards to dream sequences so like you could maybe mm, do something more interesting than you would with conventional animation that wasn't trying to go for something this strange and out there but um, I've kind of forgotten where I was going with that but yeah yeah, <laughs> look, even the film's Sorry. making Max that's just, confused. That's, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> but, sort of how it goes. But, uh, the thing is, talk, talking about the animation, right? If you're going to make a film that's very hard to follow, at least make it interesting in other aspects so you have an incentive to pay attention. The animation is no different to any animation you'll find um, in Japanese animes. You look at stuff like Attack on Titans, Full Metal Alchemist, even Dragon Ball, it's all, all the same. There's no differentiation between any of them, really. Slight, slight variation, that's that's it. So when I was watching this, I was like, alright, it's got bulk standard animation, the story doesn't make sense, I'm uninterested, have to Google 
the synopsis for this film to find out what's going on. And even the synopsis, I was like, I can't even tell that that's happened. Not one bit. (laughs) I do think there's some creative designs, but I do agree that a lot of it is just kind of standard anime designs, especially in the people. I think outside of the dream sequences, it's pretty much just standard anime that you'd watch in any other film. But I do think a lot of the dream sequences are really creative um i love some of the imagery that's really disturbing like there's the bit where a guy puts his hand under paprika's skin and rips it off i thought that was really creepy that whole sequence and i also like the parade scene early on where everything's like a toy or a doll found that quite interesting but apart from that most of it is just pretty i liked in the dream sequences where um it would just, like, say the beginning of the film, for example, where that guy was, like, it was the detective, like, chasing himself or some shit, and it would just constantly change scenes with, like, some really creative transitions. Um, But, like, besides that, like, I do like anime films. I'm a big fan of them. Just not this one. Yeah, there's something to be said about, like, doing animation creatively, which I do think this does but maybe not as much as, say, like a Miyazaki movie would, which I think just sort of nails it a bit more than this does, because there are parts in uh, Paprika, at least, where there's lots of stuff going on at one one time or another, like they're in a dream and everything's like a, a toy or like they're going through a parade. And there's lots of vibrant, nice colours, but at the same time it's like that's all that it is, is just like vibrant, interesting colours. And I can roll with that to a point, but it's like, it it doesn't really complement the story and it sort of detracts from, well, like the story itself, I didn't really understand what was going on. So it's like when you pile more and more of this shit onto it, it just, it gets a bit overwhelming. Yeah, that's kind of just how I felt about the film. They're just constantly throwing so much at you that it gets really overwhelming and it gets super hard to really follow or understand what's happening. Yeah, but there are things that I I do like about it, like to do with the animation and the creativity that it exhibits. Like I I love like Chris said when he puts his hand under Paprika and he goes like into her and like cracks open her as like a shell. That was weird and like really interesting. Or like when Paprika's going through these dreamlands, she like goes like tears open a hole in like the air and it comes away as like wood, and then she goes into a different dreamscape. All that, or like when she like hops into a picture on like an advertisement where there's like a horse in there, and she's like, "I'm gonna go chase after some guy." So she like sees a picture of a horse, and then she rides the horse away. That was really like interesting and fun, but most of the time, I just wasn't really into it. The question is, did you have a good experience and enjoy watching this movie? I don't know. No. I don't know. I, I, I can tell you now that that I. I didn't, um, and I I don't know if like now watching it, um, and uh, like looking at reviews for it, if I would watch it again and understand it a bit more. But even following the synopsis that I found online, it was so unclear that that was genuinely what was going on, just because of how confusing stuff was. And I don't know if that's what they were going for to make it hectic, like if that was the intent but um yeah 
I don't really have much to say about this movie. I liked the voice acting was was really good. Quality was good. I'd assume that it was intentional. The like surreal, hard to follow, disorienting nature of like the plot and how it was delivered. I just don't think it was delivered quite that well. Like I, I've never seen um, Inception. Maybe it's something that I should put on my list of films to watch. Is that any more confusing to follow like this movie, or is that done? That that's better? a lot. That's a lot less confusing, I think, because it like sort of. I don't know. It feels a lot less muddled and less. It feels a bit more cohesive. Like I said, um, it follows a narrative, and I know that people have said like, "Oh, I didn't even like understand in- Inception." It's not like it's so confusing. And I'm like, it's not that hard to understand what's going on in Inception, but it definitely is hard to understand what's going in going on in Paprika. Yeah, because I, I I would assume Inception is one of the films where you can you, you'd have to watch it again. Um, but on subsequent viewings, you'll notice stuff that you never noticed in the the first few viewings that you've done. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of the movies that you would have to watch again to understand what's going on. Whereas this movie, I think, even if you do watch it again, I still think you'll just be as lost as you are the first time around watching it. Maybe, but that's like a thing that I, that's a problem I have with this movie where it's like, I kind of don't want to go back to it again. At least with like Inception, the things that I didn't understand made me more intrigued to watch it again i watched inception like three times last year just because i wanted to and like i loved it every time i saw it and it just made me want to go back to it again and again i don't really want to do that with this and i think that's the issue i think if you are going to make a film where you're going to have to go back to it on subsequent viewings to understand the movie you've got to give people a reason to go back to watching it like me and you probably will never watch this movie again we have no incentive to but if their intentions were you need to watch it two or three times to really understand what's going on, well, they've lost us. We're, we're, we're not going back to it. They haven't drawn us in with any real differentiating animation between that and other films. There's nothing unique about this film that really makes me want to watch it again, give it another viewing. Yeah, I did say that I was going to watch it again, like maybe before we recorded this, but time came to it. I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Because I wouldn't be yeah, watching it because I, like, um, I enjoyed it. I'd be watching it to understand it more. And it's like, would I understand? I wouldn't even know. And then I'd just be having a bad time with something I was trying to understand. And maybe there's not even all that much to understand there. I started um, re-watching it yesterday because I wanted to do a similar thing and understand it a bit more. And it did definitely seem a lot clearer. I just, I didn't finish it because I was like, I can't really be bothered to go through this whole experience <laughs> again. Yeah, It's draining. Yeah. It's really draining. It it was it was very mentally draining. Just trying to sit through it was was a bit of a struggle. Like, I found myself reaching for my phone like a lot of the time throughout the movie, yeah. where I had to like sort of, all right, I can't do this. I've got I've got to pay attention to this film. I've got to understand what's going on. And like even giving it my full attention, I was like, mm. looking at my watch, like fuck me, it's over yet. Yeah, it's just like shit that happens. And like these things that happen, and I'm like, I don't even know why this is happening or why that happened. Like, like the old guy, the old scientist, just suddenly started to go crazy, and then he jumped out of the window. I didn't understand yeah, why that was happening. And he was in hospital, and then he got out of hospital, and he was like, I'm fine. This fat guy's whole arc is just that he eats too much. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I want to talk oh, about God. the line in this film 
that really pissed me off yeah. and made no fucking sense is when um, they're sitting at the bar and they're talking about allergies and shit. I said it to you guys yesterday as I was watching it. And then the guy goes, I remember getting stung by a jellyfish when I was a child. Now I can't even look at one without having an allergic reaction. It's yeah. awful writing. That was just terrible. I was like, what do you mean? I, I wrote that down as well. I was like, that's not anything. That's yeah, not a thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh, I'm, I'm allergic to dogs. Oh, fucking hell. I can't look at one without having an allergic reaction now. Like, no, it's not how it works. Did you guys, do you guys remember, like, I think it was, like, more in the former stages of the movie where it would cut and you'd see, like, a dog and then it would cut away and the dog had, like, nothing to do with it, but it was just a dog they cut to every now and then. Like, look at this dog. All right, back to yeah. the story. What? <laughs> what was up with the dog, man? I didn't get it. Why was he I there? <laughs> I think out of all three films, it's the ones that I have the least to say about because I didn't really get it. Yeah, yeah, we can only really comment on the stuff we know. I mean, the quality of the film was decent. It wasn't poorly made. Um, no. But other than the superficial things that you can comment on a movie, especially an animated movie, like voice acting, quality of the animation, what more can we go into? The character development was just non-existent chemistry between characters was non-existent unfortunately i can't even judge it on like the voice acting because we watch the english dub that's on youtube so like i can't even judge it on like the original voice acting in japanese because you, you don't hear those actors. yeah when i started re-watching it yesterday i actually tracked down the original japanese version and i definitely felt thought it was a lot better like the voice acting but the english dub's decent it's not one of the worst Bonds of her. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. alright. Well, in terms yeah, a of, lot of like, voice acting in an English dub version, it was alright. It was pretty decent. There are a lot of like, Japanese animeisms in, mm. in the English uh, dub. So, like, but they you'll, you'll like find... style their vocals in, in the same way that a Japanese uh, voice actor yeah. might. But, like, what you'll find, I think, especially with this movie, one thing that did not help it is a lot of Japanese words sound the same, but it's how you accent them, which gives the word a different meaning. Um, so you could say the same thing, but en- put an emphasis on different parts of the same word or same phrase, and it could mean two completely different things. So when you're translating from Japanese to English to dub, a lot of stuff gets very confused. It happens with Dragon Ball a lot, that a lot of the story is doesn't make any sense and there's loads of plot holes just from how the Japanese is interpreted into English and then it's obviously spoken throughout the dub. I think especially with this film, if you're translating from a language which is already really confusing into English where a lot of stuff is going to be, say, create plot holes in the movie anyway, it did not add the best feeling, uh, the best experience to this movie. Yeah. Do you guys like when the fat guy gets stuck in the lift? She has to pull him out, <laughs> that woman. And then you're like, oh, haha, he's fat. And then later on in the movie, it's called back to when he's a robot. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So he turns into a robot and then he gets stuck in between two buildings because he's a huge, gigantic robot. And then she, the woman, I forget her name, but who is also Paprika uh, for some reason. So she's Paprika and then she pulls the robot out of the buildings 
and then it calls back to when the woman was pulling him out of the lift where he got stuck in between the doors and I'm like okay what was that all about and she's like you gotta yeah. stop eating so much man <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I didn't really pay attention to any of that shit I kind of like the film's an hour and a half long after about an hour I it felt like I'd been hit the felt like I'd been like struck in the head by a couple of sledgehammers so I was just like sitting there just trying to keep my eyes open it sort of no. it sort of ends <laughs> it sort of like ends in the way a typical anime would anyway there's like just a giant battle over a city and I was like all right well this is it's just Had a better ending thing. than uh, some of the films that are recommended on this list yeah but it's like all right this is something that we you see in like anime so many times but so often like just a two Giants battle over a city and they destroy a city and then she sucks him into her body and makes and it makes her like really big like some sort of mini clip game and then that that's it she won <laughs> great <laughs> anyone else have anything to add I I don't have anything um I definitely liked it the most out of all three of us like I didn't hate it at all I thought it was all right I just didn't really understand anything. I think I'd for watch it again in the future, but not for a while. For a second, I thought you were going to say you enjoyed it the most out of all three recommendations. I was going to ask, if that was the case, <laughs> no. how shit were these other two films? <laughs> yeah. That's God the thing. Bless, I, don't, yeah. I don't hate this movie. I don't hate it. But I also don't know if I like it. And unfortunately, I don't care enough to go back to it. <laughs> to sort of solidify my own views on it, really. Because if you need to go back, like Connor said, if you need to go back to a movie a second or a third time to really understand how you feel about it, maybe it's not the best movie ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. You Uh, are on the nail there, my friend. Should we go over to the ratings? Yes, please. Uh, One thing I wanted to quickly say about the film is that the tagline on the poster is, this is your brain on anime. That's lame. No, I really don't not. understand what it's... the yeah. I don't understand I what the tr- tagline has to do with the film. Yeah, I think they're trying to be like, oh, this is like I don't, I, I don't even know. I'm even trying to guess. Fuck it. It's it's meant to be a, a play on um. There was like a advert in the nineties in America that said, "This is your brain on drugs." It's meant to be yeah. like a play on that. It's not funny it's, though. It's not quite clever. cringe. Yeah. <laughs> quite cringe you are very correct Chris oh do you guys remember like we were talking about how that guy reaches his hand into paprika and then he like runs his hand up her body and then like splits her open as a shell she dies in that and then the, the woman who is paprika in the real world like comes out of the shell of paprika and then she runs away so then then you're like okay paprika's dead and then she comes back, like, just out of nowhere. And then she goes, like, the woman goes, why are you here, Paprika? And then, like, she doesn't even answer. She's just like, desperate times call for desperate measures. It's like, what? That doesn't, that's not an answer. <laughs> She's just here now, all right. There was a few bits like that. There was a few bits like that where someone asked her a question and she would just be like, yeah, and then walk away. And that would yeah. basically, yeah. God damn it. Um... Should we give this um, out of jellyfish? Yeah. That's actually what I was thinking, yeah. 
<laughs> um, when I reviewed it on Letterboxd, I think I gave it like a three and a half out of five. But after reflecting on it, I think I'd give it um, six jellyfish out of ten. I thought it was all mm-hmm. right. I definitely rewatch it. I think hopefully I'd understand it a little bit more and enjoy it. Um, I think there's probably more to get out of it than I think we got out of it. But who knows? Yeah, maybe people will actually enjoy it. Maybe they're all fakers. Yeah, right. I really enjoyed this movie. It was a really. I understood it. If you don't understand this movie, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Right. <laughs> maybe you should just tell its story a bit better. Yeah, uh, not. I'm not super big on it, honestly. But I'm. I'm not like really. I don't hate it, like I said. But I ain't gonna watch it again. Um, five jellyfish out of ten. Um, I don't really have much to say about this movie. It, it, I didn't enjoy it. It was very confusing. I've got no incentive to watch it again. Um, probably won't ever watch it again. Uh, there was there was one one good part, and that was when it ended. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. And uh, so I'm gonna give it a two out of ten. Two jellyfish out of ten. Mm-hmm. Nice. Not a very Webinized. good movie. I think um, you definitely need to redeem yourself with this week's recommendation, Chris. Yeah. Don't worry, man. I know all about giving bad recommendations. That's like 90% of the films <laughs> I recommend. All right, I've got very something very special next week that should be interesting. Talking of movies that Connor didn't enjoy, we got my recommendation. <laughs> a 1999 movie directed by the late great Stanley Kubrick, Eyes Wide Shut, is a mystery drama about Tom Cruise playing Dr. Bill Hartford, whose wife, played by Nicole Kidman, called Alice, admits to having a sexy, sexy dream and fantasies about a man she met the, the last year, I think, and then Bill sort of becomes obsessed with this this dream that he's told her, and he goes out on the town, and this movie takes place over about a night or two, and uh, he discovers some. He gets into all these strange situations, and discovers something very, very strange. Now, what did we think of this movie? And I, I sort of want to preface this by sort of saying, um, asking, how, how familiar are we with Stanley Kubrick's movies? Oh, I think this is the first one that I've ever seen of his. Really? You seen The Shining? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Wow. What a way to go go in. Looking through the box set that you uh you gave me of like six of his films or like eight of his films, I've seen none of them other than the one wow. that you have just recommended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be fair, if I think if you had seen any of them, they'd be in that box set. Um, yeah. I've seen. Nearly all of his films have not seen Fear and Desire, Spartacus, or Barry Lyndon yet, but I've seen every other one. I've got some of them yeah. if you want to lend them. I've got a box over there. That's my box set. No, <laughs> got right. the same I've, box also, set. I've also got that box set. <laughs> oh, we've all got the box set. Well, you don't have the box set. I, it's my box set that I lent to you. <laughs> well, I did a glitch and duplicated it. Nice! Um... Yeah, I'm I'm quite familiar, about as familiar as with Kubrick as Chris. Maybe not so much. I have seen Barry Lyndon. Um, I've seen basically um, all his like really well known movies, like you know, 2001, The Shining, 
uh, Clockwork Orange. And I definitely, I really, really like uh, Stanley Kubrick as a director. Maybe his methods weren't always that um, nice. He was quite a strict director. He did quite a lot of yeah. He like, was a bit of a, bit of an arsehole. Yeah, but he got results. <laughs> yeah, like Shelley Duval on The Shining. Her hair was falling out because of the amount of stress that she was being put through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's pretty horrible. It's a shame. She's really good in that movie. Yeah. So, Connor, what did you think of Eyes Wide Shut? I, oh yeah, I, I recognised the name Nicole Kidman from somewhere, and then I googled it, and it was because Tom Cruise was married to her, and three other people as well. Mm-hmm. Not very had a very good track record. If you've been divorced, that yeah, almost uh, the same amount of divorces as Ross. Mm-hmm. But he's a good She's actor. A very good- um. She's a very famous actor, uh, though. I was on about Tom Cruise. Um, I didn't. Un- I don't understand why this film was made. Like, obviously, when. <sighs> what do you mean? I just, I just don't get it. There was. <sighs> what, what was the point? So she admits that they go to a party. Um, it's like she thinks he's fucked these two girls. Then she tells him that she thought about cheating on him last year. Tom Cruise goes a little bit nutty, starts like making out with an old woman after te- like her husband or her dad dies. Then he goes to like a bar, finds someone who gives him like a password and some information for an orgy. He turns up, they threaten to kill him. Some girl randomly like just says like, "No, I'll die instead," and then she dies. And then they're like, "Yeah, if you don't talk about this, we'll leave you alone." And then they just continue to harass him over the next like few hours and then like you, what are they are they following him have they put a hit out on him are they are they trying to kill him are they trying to scare him you don't find out because when they start talking about it in the movie it ends I would argue that you find everything out honestly I would argue what when they have when he has the conversation with his with his with his mate yes and we'll get yeah. we'll get into that but well I, yeah, you find a little bit of info out, but like he doesn't tell him that they're not after him, like because they're still sending him letters and no, they've broke into his house and all this shit. Like, especially towards the end, like oh, yeah, that was a weird one. Like, even after he has the conversation with his mate, he goes home. There's a mask on his bed. He just starts crying. Then they go out Christmas shopping, and it ends. So. There's a lot to uncover, I think. A lot to go into. So, at the beginning, I also want to start off by saying this movie is a Christmas movie. Maybe I should have chosen this for the Christmas <laughs> episode. It's a great Christmas movie. It's um, I think they shot this in London, even though it looks a lot like New York. They did a lot of the uh, sets at Pinewood Studios, so it looks very uh, New York-y. Um, London. But, yeah, because Kubrick didn't London, like to yeah. travel, so... Yeah, had a fear of travel. But I really loved, like, the Christmas setting. I think it works very well for the movie. You got a lot of, like, lights and um, shiny things and, like, lots of colours that really... It's, it's a strange pairing to have that sort of setting, which is usually associated with 
like nice um like christmas set movies like like kids movies where it's very magical iron and mystical man 3. but this is yeah like iron man 3 but this the, the backdrop is sort of a lot more sinister and a lot more mysterious and i don't think you get that a lot with uh, christmas movies at least not from what i've seen yeah i like the juxtaposition between the two so Pretty they go to this sinister. party they go to Ziggler's party and Tom Cruise, uh, Bill, goes off with these two women, like Connor said, and Nicole Kidman, Alice, she is sort of flirted with by this guy called uh, Sandor or something. And so he's sort of like telling her, like, I can't believe you're married, you know, a beautiful woman like you, you could have anyone here. And she's just telling him how she's loyal to her husband and all this. And then Tom Cruise goes off with these two women and they're like just talking, I guess, but like flirting a lot. And then Ziggler, the, uh, the host, calls Bill into his like bathroom where there's a woman who's passed out from like heroin, I think it is. So he has to take care of her. And I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I think you're just explaining the movie. Yeah, I think so. But there's like, I think there's something to talk about with like the dichotomy between like men and women. And I don't really want to go too far into like gender politics with this. But when they get home, they have this kind of argument where... Alice tells, uh, she sort of asks him if he fucked those two women. And so he's sort of offended by that. They're like a little bit high. And then she's talking about how... Can I, sorry to interrupt, can I just say that this was the dumbest argument I've probably ever seen in a movie. Carry on. We'll get into that then. So she sort of tells him that, like a year ago, she saw this sort of Navy guy... And she really, really wanted to sleep with him. And she figured that if he wanted her, she'd have dropped absolutely everything in her life to be with him. Even though, like, she loved Bill more than ever at that moment. And it sort of doesn't gel well with him. <laughs> what didn't you like about it's, this conversation? It's, it's not that that made the, the argument dumb. It's why she told him. Because, um, so she says to him, about like, oh, did you sleep with those two girls and he was like no I got called up to like the guy's office to check on a girl OD'd and uh, he asked about like oh who's the guy you were dancing with and she was like oh blah 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 so yeah so then he asked about the guy that she was dancing with and she's like yeah he wanted to sleep with me and he went well I'm not surprised you are beautiful Um, and then she loses her shit she fucking goes nuts she's like what so guys only want to talk to me because I'm attractive and they want to sleep with me. And it's like, that's literally not what he said. I was like, you can't blame it on smoking weed because that is not what weed does to you. I've been high too many times and not once have I ever seen or ever taken anything out of context like that. She just lost her shit for no reason. Then all of a sudden it went calm and she's like telling him about like what happened and wanted to cheat on him and shit like this. And I found that that part of the argument was very like, watching that like sort of mini monologue where she's on about like she'll drop everything and then talks about like how she feels towards him that was really good 
But it just didn't make sense of why she just randomly lost her shit for no reason because he gave her a compliment. It really I when I, when I, when I heard that I was like, why? <laughs> I think they're talking a lot about like gender roles as well, and this is something I kind of get from the movie. Is like a big theme is how women are perceived in society versus how men are perceived in society. They're talking about like, um, like Bill says, I think we both know what men are like, you know, like he doesn't feel like she's safe around any man because that's just like the men, the man's attitude or the men's sort of uh, mindset when he's around a woman. And then she says, well, on that basis, I should conclude that you wanted to fuck those two models. And that uh, men have to stick it in any place they can. But for women, uh, for women, it's just about security and commitment. And then she goes on about this uh, encounter that she uh, had a dream about. And I think a big part about it for me is this juxtaposition between how these two cheat on each other. And maybe it's not like cheating in the conventional sense that we're sort of used to. Like, oh, you know. A guy goes out, fucks a woman, he's cheated on his wife. It's sort of a bit more, like, less physical than that. So, like, Tom Cruise goes out in a very physical sort of night. He's very erotically charged. He meets a prostitute. Uh, he, like, kisses some old woman who's, like, in love with him, apparently, even though she doesn't know him. And then he eventually happens upon this this orgy. Which is very, very strange. And then to contrast that with Alice, who sort of had maybe like stranger things going on, but only in her imagination and her dreams. But she's still, it still affects her emotionally in the same way as this is affecting uh, Bill as well. Yeah, so I, I really love that scene, the argument between the two, I think the writing's really great and obviously the performances are both great. I think Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman just generally give really great performances. I don't like Tom Cruise normally. Like, I think this and Magnolia are the only two films I actually really like him in, but I think he's great in this film. Um, he tends to go for more like action-heavy roles, like a lot of like Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, and I feel that, like they're all kind of the same. So I like seeing him do something different like this or Magnolia. Absolutely. I think um, PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, came to the set of Eyes Wide Shut while they were filming. They liked Tom Cruise so much that yeah. he gave him the role in Magnolia. So that's awesome. Another thing I like about that scene, about the, the, the argument scene, is like the way that Kubrick uses the camera. So like, Alice goes into this sort of laughing fit where she's like laughing at Bill and the camera's just sort of moving with her body and then she like collapses on the floor and it like just follows her. It's like the kind of thing that makes you realise, oh yeah, we're being this is being handled by one of the masters. Yeah. I love the colouring of that scene as well because like the skin colours are like weirdly exaggerated and there's like, you can see like their bathroom is like dark blue and really vibrant I think that's really interesting the way he did that that is literally something that I noticed whenever he walked into the house is just how blue it was yeah so you get this contrast of like he's out on the town or he's out in these different locations 
you get a lot of warm colours, uh, especially at the uh, the orgy. So you get like a lot of vibrant, warm colours. Then he goes back home. It's sort of this cold, uh, yeah, sort of detached colours that sort of indicate maybe not so much happiness. I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy this movie. I thought it was a little bit dull, mm-hmm. but I just honestly don't see what the point of it was. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, I, I don't know what the meaning behind this film was, whether it served a greater purpose than what it, it just was on the like the surface level about just a guy going to an orgy. I, I really didn't, I, like, usually if like, I watch a movie, there's either a meaning behind it or it benefits me in some way. This did neither. Like, I, I didn't understand what the film was trying to tell me. Like, that was the issue. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from with that. I think it's like a case-by-case basis. You can take away what you want to take away or like whatever you interpret from it. So this is basically just going on my own opinions and what I take away from the movie is like there is all this like extravagant, these extravagant things going on. Like he goes out, he's beating like a prostitute. He's um, talking to like a, like this guy who he used to go to uni with. And then he tells him about this like weird thing that he's he's doing. Like he goes to a place that he doesn't know where the place is until like an hour before to play piano, and he's blindfolded. And then one time, like the blindfold slipped a little, so he saw sort of what was going on. And there was like, and the women there. I've never seen women like that in my entire life. And so that just sort of really like pulls at his curiosity. Just like there's no way that you are you are leaving here without taking me with you. And so he goes here, and it's all very extravagant. And something I get from the movie is that there's this grand, these grand themes going along, and these grand sets, and like all these strange things that he's getting himself into. There's sort of more in his own head, in like a conspiratorial kind of way, than I think exists actually in the film. Because in reality, there's not really all that much going on. Like, he goes to this orgy, he gets out of the orgy, and, like, he thinks he's being followed, and all these, like, weird things keep happening to him, and, like, he thinks people are being murdered, and maybe he'll be murdered. And at the end, his old mate Ziggler tells him, there's nothing more going on here, nobody's been murdered. I had you followed, but it's only because you were, like, making too much noise about it. You, like, went back to the, the house, and they gave him a letter. But there's nothing really, there's no more here than meets the eye, really. There's like Amanda Curran who died, but she only died because of an overdose. Like, we didn't kill her. She just, she was that kind of person. She just died. Happens all the time. And he goes home. It's sort of not really what he's expected from it. Like, the the title, Eyes Wide Shut, I, I feel is sort of like a, the more you look, the less you see type of thing. So there is more going on here. Or there's less going on than he thinks there should be. And when he comes away from it, he's like, he's had this like 24, 48 hours that all this, everything in his life is like turned upside down. But at the end, nothing's really changed. But it doesn't explain like someone broke into his house and put the mask on his bed. (sighs) Did they though? Well, it was there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was there. Um, I'll admit that. (laughs) But I think that's more like like he gets he goes back to the the costume store 
and the mask isn't there, maybe Alice took it out and then she put it on the pillow to sort of to tell him that she knew that something weird was going down when she fell asleep and he got home and he just broke down. But I, 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 I think that's such a far stretch to, <laughs> Why? to say. So, right, so he goes to this orgy. They oh, yeah. tell him that he needs to leave it, <laughs> don't speak about it ever again, or things will happen to him and the people that he loves. Then... A model winds up dead the next day, yeah, through overdose. But then, like, apparently that Nick guy got back to the hotel with two other guys. He had been beaten up, and they took him off in a car, and he's never seen again. And then he gets home, finds this mask on his bed that he had thought he lost. Um, and it's not easier to believe. There's a saying, right? When you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, right? So it's the most obvious thing is probably the thing that is happening. I find it less convincing that his wife somehow found this costume because you got to remember he put it in there at night and took it out the next day. So he hasn't left it there and he hasn't left the house for her to find it. I find it very hard to believe that she's found this without him knowing. She's taken the mask out. She's hid it. She's not like told him straight away that she's found it she's hid it he's taken the mask back had this conversation with his mate that yeah he's been followed all this shit he comes home and she's decided to put it on the bed to show him that she knows something went on considering that she had an argument with him the day before about how she thinks that he only thinks guys want her because she's attractive she'll confront him about that but she'll plan this masquerade of leaving this mask on the bed to symbolise or give a message without actually talking to him. It just does not fit in with her character, and I do not believe that that was the case. Unless it fell out the bag. And, like, he what, left. his pillow? Realize... No, it fell out the bag. He left. He was gone all day. Then when he came back, like, in between that time, she found it. And obviously, because he was out, didn't have a mobile phone or anything, she couldn't contact him or anything. So she put it there. But the... But the bag had, had Ziplocs on it. You, Maybe he didn't zip we, it. We, the, we, you never know. We saw that, but we saw the scene of him taking it out. Yeah. And then it still doesn't explain like, why she would leave it on his pillow facing up. Like it's, you'd put it on the side. Like I'm not being funny. Like if I found something of your two's, I I wouldn't like go to your put it on your pillow. I'd put it on the side or something. Put it on the kitchen table. Maybe she just wanted to confront him as soon as he got home, but she didn't know when it would be, so she put it on the bed, expecting he'd come home late at night and see it and instantly need to talk to her. That is such a far stretch, or that is such a far, yeah, far stretch of the imagination to believe. Honestly, to be fair, I do think it was the guys breaking in, but I think it was more just to remind him, like to remind him that they are powerful. Maybe just to shake him up and scare him a bit. If this was a conspiracy movie, then fair enough. I would rate it a little bit better. But it wasn't, right? These guys just murdered Nick, right? Did they? I mean, yeah, I reckon they did. 
but that that's that's the Wait, thing and do i don't want to get hung up on like these like, i don't want to get hung up on these things where it's like i think this and like somebody else, you think another thing because it's we're not going to come to a solution where we like both agree but on it's it it's discussion yeah it's yeah but it's like n- no one's right and no one's wrong in that kind of thing it's just like it goes off interpretation you know i don't know if uh they definitely know that nick gave him the password because his his mate tells him about it and then he's like shown up at the hotel beaten up with two bodyguards they take him off in a car and no one sees him again and his mate's like yeah we put him on a plane to like new york or some shit or wherever he's fine there is always the the thing of like maybe ziggler lied to bill about everything that they were doing maybe maybe they did kill nick maybe they are responsible for the murder of amanda curran but then again maybe they're not I think it's just down to but interpretation. He, he, but Bill, that, that his mate, like, lied about, like, the girl, though, like, in this conversation. He's like, it was all a charade. She was a hooker. And he's like, no, she was a model and she OD'd. And he's like, all right, then, I'll tell you what exactly happened. And he's like, oh, now I'll tell you the truth when you've called me out on a lie that I just told you. Like, <laughs> it's like if me and Chris were, like, having a conversation and I lied to Chris and he called me out and I was like, all right, then, this is actually what happened. And then I expect Chris to believe everything else that I just said. I mean, I don't think he actually really knows when he leaves. I don't think he knows that that's definitely what happened. I think in the back of his mind, he still is like thinking that everything was alive, but he's not certain for sure. It was a very good, it it did obviously watching it. I could, it, it touched on the theme of paranoia very well, cause just, just especially how Tom Cruise reacted at the end of the film when he came home and saw this mask on his uh on his bed and just had like a fucking breakdown and just it realized like uh maybe what I'm thinking is true. That was I enjoyed that part of the film, but that was a great scene. He just like gets overwhelmed with it all, that's all that's happened because he's been in just some some really weird situations. Like no normal person would get into these these kinds of things but it's like this pursuit of because in the back of his mind he's also thinking about alice's dream about her having sex with the navy man so it sort of spurs him on to do things that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise it's just you see where it's all where it all comes from when he breaks down and he's like i'll tell you everything he's like sobbing so and that's like a great thing i love about tom cruise as an actor is that he can play these characters but he just doesn't, for whatever reason. Do you reckon he still can now? Or do you reckon he's just played so many action hero roles that um he's just forgotten how to? It's like, yeah, Tom, we're going to do this like really emotional arc, and he's just there like doing backflips off buildings. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Tom, come here. Come here now. We've got to run through the script. He's like yeah, running We've around. Got, uh, we got, you got to you got, you got cry. Stop doing fucking martial arts. He's <laughs> <laughs> just there beat, beating up the extras. Is this the bad guy? I have a quite base level interpretation of kind of what Kubrick was going for. Um, For me, I kind of thought it was a lot of the film was kind of about how um, sex is like a very encompassing thing in people's lives and how it can corrupt people and lead them to like their urges can be so strong that it leads them to do shit like almost ruin their entire marriage or risk their lives. Not that extreme, of course, but 
Um, but it's also kind of about how powerful people control people for sex and that dark side of being rich and powerful and how basically you can have unlimited things if you're powerful. Mate, you can have people murdered if you're powerful enough. Jeffrey Epstein's one of them. I really... Yeah, I yeah. do agree with that, Chris. I definitely think you hit the nail on the head. Because once he finds out, like... Ziggler tells him that there were like really high up people there. Like if I told you the names of these people, you wouldn't sleep so well at night, Bill. Like just this sort of—it's like you see it in real life as well. Maybe it's not like they go out and have like these secret orgies. Maybe they do. I guess it'd be secret. But then you see these things that come out with like um, like Jeffrey Epstein, and it's like Jesus Christ, th- this was happening all along. Nobody knew about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I was thinking of stuff like that or like the Harvey Weinstein stuff and how he had yeah. like multiple friends and stuff that would do similar shit. What's the uh the the cult that Alex Jones apparently um infiltrated and got videos of oh, for I the life no of me, clue. I cannot remember. Not sure. But it gave me when I was watching this movie and obviously he walked into this house, it is there was there was a lot of mystery around it and I thought that scene was very good. It gave there was a lot of eeriness about it. Um, and it reminded me of... Oh, I cannot remember what this cult is called. Um, I'll try and find it. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely stuff that can happen in the real world. And yeah, your interpretation is pretty spot on, I, I guess. I mean, for me, I was just like watching the movie. Um, there, were, there were parts of it where I got the, the idea that Nicole Kidman's character was bored of her life, and that's why she w- wanted to throw it all away with this sailor guy or whatever. There were just, like, s- some of the scenes when it just looked very mundane and she may not have been happy with just being at home all the time or, like, not having any real excitement in her life. Yeah. They seemed to lead, like, a kind of a, bo- a boring lifestyle. She'd stay at home. I say boring. For some people it's not, but for some people it is. She'd stay at home and be like a stay-at-home mum and like wife and stuff. He'd go to work and then it would just be the same thing repeat day after day. I kind of got that vibe from it. Yeah. She's like, whenever she calls him, she's always at home. She's like watching TV or like helping uh, their daughter with homework. She's like wondering when she when he's going to come home and he's out doing these like crazy, shit, crazy things. Yeah. That's it. Um, the, the cult that I was talking about is the Bohemian Grove. It gave me very strong vibes to what or that mystery that's always going about about um uh, a bunch of wealthy, famous, and powerful people get together. I think the Bohemian Grove is more about like child trafficking, whereas obviously in this film it's more consensual and it's just literally about people um fucking one another. But um, gave me strong vibes for that. So I yeah. could definitely see there was a... I can understand w- where he'd get the paranoia from, why he'd feel the way he feels. And, I mean, if it is the case that maybe it is just him seeing way too much into things to the point where he's distorting the view of what actually is happening, I can kind of get where that's coming from. But it for me, some of it just wasn't that clear. But then this is one of those films where I think if I watched it again... Um, which I'd be more inclined to do than watching Paprika again. Maybe I'd um see it differently, perhaps. Yeah, I definitely think I understood the film quite a lot more this time. But at the same time, I was like 15 the last time I watched it. So, gee, I bet you had a good time watching that film when you were 15. Then, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, 
this is not 15 age appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you not. Uh, did you did you watch this on your own? Yeah, you of course I parents? did. I was going to say, fuck me, how awkward would that have been? <laughs> I remember watching, trying to watch Freddy vs. Jason with my um, with my dad once and turned it off after like, the first 10 minutes because there's people banging in the beginning. It's like, you're not watching this? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what did we think of the large orgy sequence in like halfway through the film? Okay, I've got a lot to say about this, or at least this is like one of my favourite scenes in the movie because he goes in, he has no idea what the hell's going on, but he's like, just from an inkling that his friends told him right and the women i've never seen women like it he's like i gotta go to this i gotta see the women (laughs) and he gets there i just think it's like so creepy it's like kubrick kubrick does a lot of like he in he injects a lot of creepy eerie vibes into a lot of his movies you know like the shining uh clockwork orange 2001 this is like the most like viscerally creeped out and disturbed I've ever been by any of his movies. Just like the the weird setting, all these people in like a circle wearing masks and black robes and like the Nick playing the piano and like the music and this guy chanting. It's it really creeps me out, man. It's like so yeah, weird. That's, that's one thing that I, I was gonna say, like the the um the music, just the piano key playing was just very it, it it just enhanced the scene whenever I watched it. And like the beginning of that scene, within the first like thirty seconds of watching that part of the movie, you you can kind of get an idea that it's a, a, there's a lot of mystery behind these people. It's very like you said, creepy. There's a lot of it's it's a lot of powerful people in this area or in this in this building. So like you said just the guy swinging his little finger around, just chanting with the music behind him. Everyone just watching all in masks. Yeah. There, there's the that guy, isn't there? When Tom Cruise walks in and he like looks down at him, him and his like <sighs> yeah. this girl that he's with, um, and just like just stares at Tom Cruise, just nods at him, and Tom Cruise just like nods back, and the guy like just turns back around. It's just very like they established how. Well, I think the the feeling that they wanted to go for and get the audience to feel, I think they established that within the first 30 seconds of this scene, even beginning, just him turning up, entering this massive hall, all of these people surround, like, in this circle, this guy chanting, the women all synchronised, um, like it's been done before, which it probably has. And, uh, and yeah, it just takes you throughout the scene. It's very, very creepy. Yeah, the whole sequence is one of my favourite sequences in any Kubrick movie. I especially love um, towards the end of it where they know Bill isn't supposed to be there and he's obviously led into that room and there's loads of people standing around waiting for him and there's that really creepy piano music and there's like really like weird close-ups on these masks. That that bit especially is really creepy. Just the way it, like, the angles that he's using on the masks... It, it's just really interesting and creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I liked how, like, pretty much there was no background music in that scene other than just the piano keys being played. Yeah. Yeah, it was very really atmospheric. Some music. That's like an oh shit kind of moment as well when the guy goes up to Bill and he's like, your taxi driver needs to talk to you. It's some- something important, he says. And he leads him there, and you think he's going to leave now. But then he just goes back into the main area, 
and like they have to confront him i'm like oh shit you're in trouble now mate (laughs) (laughs) i do like the fact that when he's talking to his mate and he's explaining this to him he's like yeah it didn't help he's like first of all there was no second password Mm. um that's one way that they knew that you weren't supposed to be there he's like Secondly, everyone else turned up in limos and you turned up in a taxi. Yeah. And then they also said, also, nobody else has left the receipt addressed to themselves in their costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so, 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 like, when he says stuff like that, I was like, yeah, that's pretty dumb. <laughs> Made me laugh, but. That's funny, though. It's, like, a lot of funny stuff. Yeah. It's a good way of being humorous, but without taking away from the film. Like some most films do. Yeah, there are a few humorous bits in the film. To be fair, like um, the first time he goes to the costume shop where the owner like finds his daughter sleeping with those <laughs> two Asian people. Yeah, yeah. I love that guy as oh, well. Oh, that his daughter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh, I love that guy, Mister Millich. He's like, oh, anything, anything for this gentleman, anything for your man. He's like, he comes in. He's like, oh, you're a doctor. I've got this bit, this balding patch. On the top of my head, can you sort that out for me? He's like, no, you gotta go to a specialist for that. He's like, oh god damn, <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's the thing. Is that where guy he... selling his daughter out when he goes in there the next time? He's yeah. like, I thought you were gonna call the police, and he's like, no, we've come to an arrangement. Yeah, that was like <laughs> horrific as well. He's like, found these two Asian guys uh, having sex with his daughter, and then afterwards, he's like, no, we just came to an agreement. And then he like, he puts his hand around his daughter. It's really like creepy yeah. and weird. I, yeah, because she's Honestly, like, I, d- it, she's, she's I like didn't 15. realize that was his daughter. I didn't realize that was his daughter until you've just mentioned it. And like, with that context, looking back on like just it's fucking weird. Yeah. It's he like very puts his weird. he puts his arm around her. He it's says, so... um, he says, if the good doctor would want anything again, anything at all, it needn't be a costume. I'm like, oh, oh, this guy. <laughs> Yeah, what the hell? And when 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 he finds her in the first place, she's just like fucking hugging Tom Cruise in her bloody underwear, and he's just like doesn't give a shit. It's like what the fuck? I also like um Alan Cummings. He's like a I guess a comedy actor. He's been in a lot of stuff in the nineties. He has a small role as the hotel desk clerk that um Tom Cruise yeah. talks to, and he's just like mm. really camp, and he clearly fancies Bill. And like the way he's talking to him, he's like, yeah, really, yeah. I find that scene really funny as well. Yeah, he was great. There's one thing I didn't really understand about it was like, so Bill's talking to these two girls at the party at, at the beginning, and then they ask him, "Don't you want to know where the rainbow ends?" I'm like, that's a weird line. So I wrote it down, and then obviously it comes up again because the costume store is called the Rainbow. Yeah, but like, how did how did they know that he would go there? Like, what sort what ties do they have to this costume store, and like, why is it so vital to the to the story? He could have gone to any costume store, but why this one? Maybe it was just the nearest maybe one. Sh- maybe it's just to show that they know everything. Maybe, and they are very powerful. Maybe I mean, it's like they found isn't it's like destined to happen, like some sort of form of destiny coming into play here. I don't know. What did um. I know Connor said he wasn't a fan of the ending. What did we all think of that ending scene with Bill and Alice where they like discuss their relationship and whether their dreams of infidelities should ruin it or whether they should just move on? I loved it. I like that. 
but then it just ended. Mm-hmm. It did. Yeah, just, it did. <laughs> just, just ended. But like yeah. you're talking about it as if like it ended mid scene. I don't feel like it did. They're sort of talking about like how they sort of come to an agreement that like maybe they were both cheating in like different kinds of ways, but like what one night shouldn't come between like the years of experience they've had together. So they sort of decide to write it off, and this kind of thing is never going to happen again. And then she's like, "There is like one thing that we need to do." Um, and he's like, "What's that?" She says, "Fuck," and then it ends. I'm like, "That's like, I just love that the end of that. I really love yeah. it. And I don't, I don't feel like it ends like midway through a scene. I just think it ends perfectly." Yeah, first time I watched it, I was like, "What? What? Why did it just end there?" But I love it now. I think it really fits the film. Mm-hmm. You didn't like it so much, Connor. I was, uh, I was waiting for more. I was like, "There, like, all right, what's next?" And then it just ended. I was like. Oh, fair enough. I think that's the thing with like, was a, Kubrick as well. It 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 left it on. Are these people actually following him? We'll never know. Is their marriage saved? We'll never know. Yeah, they kind of allude to it, but you never know. That's the, yeah, you never know, and that's caught, sort of like it life le- as well, isn't it? Sometimes you it, don't get all the it, answers you want, or the the uh, the nah. answers that you get aren't the ones you expect. And that's sort of like what the movie's but about. When, when, when I think with the majority of films, uh, 99% of them, by the end of the film, a lot is wrapped up and you have some understanding of, of what's happened. This film left a lot of stuff open. Whether it's open for interpretation, if that's what they were going for, fair enough. But that, that, was, that was why I said it just ended abruptly, because every film that I've watched has just ended with a, a nice little bow at the end of it. Things have been wrapped up. This just left a lot of stuff out for speculation. And I was like, oh, I thought we were at least going to get some clar- like some closure on a few of these things, but we didn't. Maybe that's... I'm not saying it's bad, it just, it just ended. Yeah, maybe that's sort of like a learned thing, because I think I've watched a lot of movies where things are left kind of open-ended or you're not it ends and you're not really expecting it to end like your ghost land most does that a lot i think his endings are quite like this but like they're not really conclusive it's just like oh that and that was that you don't really understand what yeah, like in the lobster where you have no clue what happens it just ends yeah yeah that was a great ending so maybe it's sort of a learned thing i'm, I'm not sure maybe um, apparently this was like a passion project of um, Stanley Kubrick so he'd been wanting to make it since 1968 because um, mm. it's based on a novel um, called Tram Novel by Arthur Schnitzler from 1926 and he read it when making 2001 so he's been trying to make it for years and originally it was going to be a comedy and then he had plans to make it with Woody Allen Steve Martin, Harrison Ford and Johnny Depp they were all going to be the lead at one point before they went with Tom Cruise. It would have been very interesting to see wow. how it was with any of those actors. Yeah. It would have been funny to see it with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would have. Would have been weird think... with Steve Martin, though. I don't know who that is. He was in those Pink Panther films, Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, the old guy. Yeah. Is he in, is he in Scary Movie 3? No. No, all right. I think Tom Cruise works for the part, especially because he's he's supposed to he be does. a very um, suave guy, very handsome, 
all the ladies love him. So that sort of that yeah, does come that across. Does come across, yeah. I really enjoy it. I think like there's one thing I read where Kubrick would like keep um, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise apart when he was filming like the the sex scenes with the Navy guy, and that were just he did it on purpose, and then they weren't allowed to tell each other about what happened in the scenes to add to the anxiety and like the on-screen anxiety and the distrust of the couple. It's like this this dude. This dude was, like, crazy. There's um, rumours that um, shooting this film was the reason why they eventually got divorced, (laughs) because the stress just put a big problem on their marriage. Yeah. Fucking hell, could you imagine that, being the director that divorced Tom Cruise? And it was, like, the longest, at the time, it was the longest constant movie shoot. They've recorded for 400 days. That's insane. And it was also in post-production for almost a year. Yeah. Like, to put it into context, like, I see a lot of, like, these Marvel movies that um, have only, like, less than a month worth of filming. But this was 400 days. That's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Kubrick just, he's, he's that kind yeah, of guy. But it just goes to show that they could put, like, a good quantity. Well, they, it just goes to show that quantity doesn't equal quality. They yeah. put in 400 days, but I I don't necessarily say that I saw 400 days worth of... Like, you could say to me, think of Game of Thrones, the third episode of the last season, shooting for 80 nights straight. When you tell me that, I could definitely see where that would come from and why it would take that long. You've just told me this film took 400 days. I don't see why. I literally have no idea. Yeah, I think that's like, sort of a thing with Kubrick, where he's such a perfectionist that maybe it, it doesn't come across but like with how he films it and how he edits it and how everything is sort of put together he's such a perfectionist that I, I do believe that it took 400 days like I'm not like averse to that I, no, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't I don't doubt that it, that it didn't but like I, 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 I don't see how it doesn't look like it, it needed it there was nothing in the scenes that really stood out was which was like yeah that would that would require a, a, a lot of attention to to detail and a lot of like trial and error with it but a, a, most of it was him having conversations and walking the streets and being think, in parties i think of a lot of it his he would like get try and get the actors to act in like a different way and like interpret the text in a different way so he had lots of stuff to work with when it got to editing like the scene with um bill and ziggler where they're talking um and he like tells them all about what's happening and shit that apparently took almost a month to film because kubrick basically just wanted the actors to react in a different way every single time they would film a little bit so then they got a neat editing room with loads of stuff. They, how many times over that month? How many like takes do you reckon there is out there? Because I assume like they're not just doing like one take a day for a month. I assume they're doing multiple per day. How many times do you reckon they had to record that conversation? Many, probably yeah. a lot. Probably like very yeah. many, two, three hundred, probably. So um, I mean, David Fincher really... does like a hundred takes for every single scene. Is that just is that unnecessary? Like with him, sometimes or is it he can doing be it for a reason. Sometimes it can be unnecessary. Like I, 
I think about like Fincher's movies and sometimes I'm like, you didn't need to do that, man. Like I heard like a lot of talk about like Amanda Seyfried complained when she was recording Mank because he like made her record for like days on end. I'm like, you don't need to do that, man. You yeah, there's. I've, to, I've no. watched like um, some of the movie review channels that I, that I watch. If uh, I don't know which director it is, but it's just like s- some directors just like needlessly. Not saying this doesn't serve a purpose, but they just needlessly get the actors to record it for no reason, just multiple, multiple times. Yeah, it is needless. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's that's that. So, should we go on yeah. to the ratings for Eyes Wide Chat? Yeah, give it out of orgies. Oh yes, we definitely <laughs> nice. will. Um, I wouldn't say this is my favourite Stanley Kubrick film, which I think says a lot because I really do love this movie. It's probably in my top three or four, maybe, along with 2001 and The Shining. Um, yeah, I think this is an incredible movie. What a way to go out. I'm giving this 10 orgies out of 10. Nice. Oh, perfect movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's nothing you would improve. No, I think it's perfect how it is. Fair enough. Apparently, Stanley Kubrick died just four days after presenting Warner Brothers with uh, the final cut of the film. Was, that's crazy. Like he didn't even yeah. get to see it released. But this this was the movie that um he kept his illness like really quiet, so no one knew that he was dying. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy guy with some crazy good movies out there and definitely watch yeah. more of his movies, Connor, because like, de- I would say definitely watch The Shining and you should probably watch 2001 because that's like a seminal I've, movie, I've, even I've, though I don't think it's like amazing. I've watched, um, I've watched the, is it The Sleep Doctor or Doctor Sleep? Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Yes. I've, watched, I've watched that, which is the sequel to The Shining. <laughs> oh, God. I've not watched The Shining. Yeah. Doctor Sleep. The Shining's awful. a lot better. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, that wasn't the best. But yeah, I love this movie. I, opposed to Chris, um, I do think this is my favourite Kubrick movie. I didn't think that before I watched it the second time, but then I watched it a second time, I was like, yeah, everything clicks, honestly. And it is close to The Shining, um, but I think I like this just a bit more. I love the mystery. I love the, uh, just how it's presented, the Christmas themes, the eroticism, just all of it. Um, I'm going to give it 10 orgies out of 10. Skadoosh. Jesus. Um... Kind of feel like I want to give it a ten now, just so it would be the first film that's got a perfect rating from all of us. But I just can't do that to myself. No, can't lie. Sure. No, Sean. Sean um, is dead. Dead. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Fair enough. Then. Never mind. I'll give this an honest rating. Then. Um, I'm indifferent about this movie. Um, I don't know. I a, a lot of it kind of. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to give it another watch at some point, and I probably will throughout the next year um but going just off that there was good acting my favorite part of the film was definitely the the whole orgy scene not even that but that just the 30, first 30 seconds of it is very fucking it was just such a good way of building an atmosphere uh i liked the acting liked the characters uh i just didn't really like the plot really just didn't really 
need to be made, but I'll give it a six orgies out of ten. Nice. That is a lot higher than nice. I thought you would give it. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a bad movie, just not my type of movie. Yeah. I've got to say, I think I prefer Tom Cruise uh, in terms of like a performance. I prefer him in Magnolia, but this is like close second. I definitely yeah, prefer him. If he... If he choked someone out, this prob- movie would have probably got a 10, but, <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> what a shame. Honestly, when I was, I was, when I was watching the, the orgy scene, um, and you know like when he's like, oh, your taxi driver wants to talk to you, and like, he takes him into the ballroom and everyone's surrounding him, I'm like, mother, you're messing with fucking, what's his name out of, um, what's his character's name out of Mission Impossible? Is it Ian? Not Ian, uh, is it? Ethan. Ethan Hunt. Ethan. Ethan, that's it. I was like, mate, you're messing with motherfucking Ethan. I was like, he'll beat the fuck out of all of you. Yeah. <laughs> now on to the final pick. Uh, yeah, so uh, my choice of film this week was a film called, called, uh, called, called Good Time. I can't remember the director's name. Um, there's two of them. The Safdie brothers. What's the names of them, Chris? The Safdie brothers. Benny. The who, sorry? Benny and Josh Safdie. That's, that's that's the ones. Um, the only reason are they the people that did un- uncut gems? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only reason I recommended this film. Um, because I watched a movie rev- a review of uncut gems and someone recommended watching more of their stuff because it was good and they're good directors. So I was like, all right then. And Good Time was a film that was recommended. So I was like, yeah, all right. Then I picked that. So the film follows um these two brothers. One of them has got uh he's like mentally disabled i think they they used he's got like the the iq of like a 10 year old or or something probably not that extreme but he's he's slow in terms of his of his brother um they rob a bank his brother the one who's mentally disabled gets um arrested put in jail and it essentially just follows his brother trying to break him out whilst also being on the run and i when i was watching this I, I got so many like uncut gem vibes from this movie. There's like a yeah, lot of yeah. just from <laughs> there's a lot similar. to be said. Like people say that uncut gems just made them so anxious and like just oh the anxiety was off the charts, man. I, I couldn't sit still during uncut gems. It was I was on the edge of my seat, and I didn't really get that from uncut gems so much. But I definitely get that anxious vibe and that chaotic vibe from Good Time for sure. Yeah, the movie takes place in the span, like over the span of like what a a day, yeah, a couple yeah. of days, a, a day, a day or two, um, and just like yeah, with with uncut gems, I think I was slightly different to you, Max, because I was always on the edge of my seat watching that movie, and then when I was watching this, it was just one thing after another, and I was like, there's literally no room to breathe in this movie, like something's always happening. The guy is just thinking on his feet the whole time, which I fucking loved. I thought that was just like his his character himself, just um how we'd just like walking in the hospital asking people where the toilets is to get to the hotel room. Uh not hotel, the hospital room. So when he walks to find his brother's hospital room and the cops outside of it and he's just like, Oh fucking hell. He's like, I've been here for like forty eight hours, I'm going mad, TV's talking to me. Yeah. Just, um He's doing a lot which of one was lot of talking. One of the dire- a lot of talking. Which one was one of the one of the directors? That was the brother, Nick. The, uh, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. He's um, Benny. Benny Safty. Benny yeah. Safty, yeah. Really brilliant performance from him, too. 
you like really buy that he he is that the, the that way uh, and he's got like some sort of disability yeah. and really portrays that very yeah, well you can say mentally disabled max is fine i know it is politically correct <laughs> i know you can it's never very, tell on this pc age it's a very <laughs> it's a very tasteful performance like i think he does it in a he plays a handicapped character in a really good way without ever being disrespectful or coming off like overly fake that like, feels very natural and realistic yeah yeah definitely because i think when when most people like portray it in movies or when it's portrayed in movies it's over exaggerated like they're made out to be like fucking idiots where they're not they're just it's it's just your brain works in a different way and like his character when he's talking to um the doctor at like the beginning of the film um and like he's asking him all these expressions and stuff that it's just like the guy doesn't say much in the scenes and that is is, yeah Yeah. probably does more justice what actually goes on than just a film where over exaggerates them misunderstanding everything and acting like an an idiot when it's not yeah i'll pull out the old tropic thunder line you know you you never go full retard (laughs) yeah exactly but um yeah, very tasteful. The acting was superb. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh my was, goodness. Was that Rob Was that Robert Pattinson? The man from Twilight himself. Ed Team yeah. Edward himself. That was it was him. <laughs> this was like the first <laughs> movie I saw he of his Connie. like since he did Twilight. And this was like Wait, are you I think Yeah, I think this was like the, the movie that got him to where he is now doing like a lot of these um, different and strange indie movies, and of course he was in Tenet uh, more recently, and now he's going to be the next Batman. So it's definitely done wonders for his career. I think he's a f- freaking fantastic actor. He's, I've got so much respect for him. Just taking on Man, these, I honestly unflattering roles. Mm-hmm. I did not know that that was Robert Pattinson. Pattinson, yeah, yeah. he is incredible in this movie. Um, I think this is yeah, maybe his really best good. performance I've seen from him. His character, I love. He's just a huge arsehole. He's like a terrible person, but he's so incredibly entertaining to watch. Yeah. Like, there's never a moment where I'm not enjoying watching him. Supposedly, he was inspired by he, Charles Manson as well, which is a bit weird. He, uh, he, he reminded me a lot of Adam Sandler's character out of uh, Uncut Gems, where it, it, when you. It, Deep down, they are both just horrible people, yeah. but you can't help but like them. The guy mm-hmm. is like, especially in this movie, like Robert Pattinson's character, he's polite, <laughs> very courteous to like a lot of people, but at the end of the day, fucking robbed a bank, and he's probably not the best role model for his brother. But you can't help but like, I couldn't help but like him throughout this movie. I was rooting for him. Yeah, he's a massive arsehole. I think he's polite to an extent, but he's only polite to people he needs something from. Yeah, the Safties do a great job of taking these characters who are kind of very troubled and not the sort of people that in real life you would probably like. And he makes them incredibly entertaining and sympathetic to watch in a way. But obviously, like Howie in Uncut Gems or their film they did before this, Heaven Knows What, which is about like a homeless heroin addict who's a bit of a shit person at times, but you constantly enjoy watching her. Um, yeah, they do a similar thing in this, and it's really entertaining to watch. What are you guys? Obviously, uh, Robert Pattinson is 
British. He's he's a British actor, but he he takes on. I hear he doesn't take on roles where he has to do his actual accent, and it's just it's such a believable like New York accent. I never once doubted it. Yeah, mate. Honestly, I didn't even i I didn't even realize it was played by a British guy, by an English guy. Yeah, but I, I had know. no clue. Like, didn't even know it was Robert Pattinson. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, very good acting. Apparently he spent almost a month just um, wandering around the streets of New York talking to loads of strangers so he could kind of nail that accent and also <laughs> get an understanding of what it was like to live in New York and interact with people there. Yeah, it paid off. Oh, I just, honestly, I can't get my head around that that was Robert Patterson. Like, I'm just thinking Twilight and then, like, comparing it to this movie. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's really coming well, yeah, to his that's own. what I was like before... Before I watched this film, like, all I knew of him was from Twilight, but I'd heard such great things about him as an actor and heard he was really good in this film, which is why I wanted to like, watch it originally, and now yeah. I'm a big fan of him. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Like, when... This is completely, like, off-topic, but when Pete, when Christian Bale was said to be Batman, there was a lot of backlash about that. I don't think he was very um, praised, but obviously turned out to be one of the best char- best roles for that character. Um, same thing has happened really here. When obviously Robert Pattinson was announced as obviously the new Batman, um, I was kind of confused. I've seen him in films other than Twilight, but I not once did I ever think that he could play a character with a bit of grit behind him, especially something for the role of what Batman is, like Bruce Wayne and the backstory behind that character. Very dark. Not once did I ever think that he could pull that off. But like watching this, he definitely is an actor that can, like, has a bit of an edge to him. So now I can kind of see him playing a character with, like, a bit of a dark past, watching him in this where he has such an edge to him and can do stuff yeah. like that. And he's a nonce in this as well. Don't forget about that. Honestly, that, that no, that made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, especially, like, every, if it, Every if time. It, yeah. Like, in the UK, it would have been legal, but it would have been very, very fucking wrong. In America, that is yeah. illegal. And it is it's just watching it. And it's like, how old are you? And he's like, oh, I'm 16. And then it's like when he's, especially when she's like getting food out the fridge, I was like, is he going to try and make a move on her? And I understand like he only did because the news came up and it was about him robbing the bank. But I was just like, oh, fuck off. I was like, no. That's very uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's like another thing with his character where he does it just to further his own needs. So, like, he's got to do it because if she sees that he's on TV for robbery, then then he, she's going to kick him out. So she he has to, like, go literally picks her up and goes to her bedroom so that she won't look at the TV. It's, yeah, oh, it's really that, seedy and that- creepy. That yeah, it's like when when they, it was just they were making out on the bed. I was like, no, was like, oh for fuck, that. I'm so glad the scene ended very quickly. <laughs> I gotta love the yeah. sequence where like he goes into the hospital and tries to get his brother out. He gets this guy out who he thinks is his brother. He goes to the house and like this is another thing where he's just like anything to further his own gains. So he like goes to the house of someone who was on the the hospital bus, and then he was like, yeah, I was on the hospital bus. Can I come in and? use your phone because I need to call my mum who who lives nearby because I've lost my keys and then she's like oh, alright you can use the phone and then like he's like yeah can I also 
have a room for my brother. And she's like, oh, all right, here's a room for your brother then. It's just all these things. No, she she offers him the room, doesn't she? Yeah. But it's like anything that he can take from these people. Yeah. I love the character of Ray, the guy that he accidentally breaks out. Um, Mm -hmm. There's that whole sequence where it's just like a flashback sequence where he's like telling this story like a million miles a minute. And he's just talking about like how he's ended up in the hospital and how he just got out of prison. I think that section is so well paced because they're constantly throwing stuff at you. And it's really, yeah, it gets a bit disorienting, um, but it, it adds extra tension. It's like a little bit claustrophobic in a way. That is literally what I was, what I was about to say, because like, that's the scene where I think Robert Pattinson's character is trying to think of a plan. And he's like, this guy is just like, continuously talking is he's like honestly just keeps going on and on Robert Pattinson's character's telling him to shut the fuck up and this guy's like you don't fucking know me and he's just like chatting shit on and on and on then he goes into this story and I'm like Robert Pattinson's character's here trying to think of a plan and he's probably very stressed I was like at some point he's just gonna fucking snap at this guy but he just keeps going on and on and on I do love that sort of flashback scene where he's sort of taking you through what, how he got into this situation, and like he can't really remember why he ended up in hospital. But then, like he he reveals that he got into a taxi because he was hiding some acid, and the police were after him. And then, like he he had to jump out of the taxi while it was going at full speed because the taxi driver was going to take him to the police. And the, and like the the score as well was by um. How do I say this name? Onio Tricks Point Never. It's just like always, always going. Especially like all through the film, it's going and just adds to the chaotic energy of it. I really love the score. Yeah, I liked the music for this film. What are you gonna say about it anyway, Chris? Apparently, that um that scene where Ray um like has to jump out of the taxi because the taxi driver goes insane. Apparently, that happens to the actor in real life um because he's like been in and out of prison like the last couple of decades and um oh my God. a lot of like his prison journals and stories were kind of used as inspiration in the script for his character wow and, what the yeah, fuck been crazy <laughs> well he's a really believable Jesus character Christ. as well yeah he is also in that flashback sequence you see him um do acid with a picture of pepe the frog i appreciated yeah. his little cameo Oh yeah, I love that little <laughs> Wait, guy. That's why, that's why Pepe is now a fucking offensive, lo- uh, an offensive logo. Yeah, that's or why icon. he's a hate symbol now. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. A hate symbol is so dumb. A fucking frog. This is people need to fucking stop being so soft and grow up. Anyway, back to the film. I think why one of the reasons I love the film so much is just because it's constantly moving. There's not a single slow or dull moment. Like, even the, like, opening scene, which is, like, just two characters just talking, like, very calmly, it doesn't take up any time. There's, no, like, almost no moments of silence at all. Like, the film's just constantly moving, but it's, it's very overwhelming at points, but it, I think that's what makes it so anxious and stressful to watch, just because there's so much happening. You don't have a single moment to breathe, but I, I love that about the film. I I I think it's, yeah it's the the film was just great like the the it was so believable that obviously Robert Pattinson's character Connie um 
obviously cared about his brother, uh, probably wasn't doing the best for him, but the, the chemistry between them both, considering they're not actually in the movie together a whole lot, only the beginning, um, it was very believable. I, I really liked the chemistry between them. I liked the chemistry was between, was it Ray? You said the guy that he yeah. takes by accident, thinking his brother. I like the chemistry between him, the um, the black actress. I don't know what her character's name was, and Robert Pattinson's character Connie. I liked their dynamic between them three as well. It's like driving around in her mum's car, uh, grandmother's car. Yeah, I love um, like Jennifer Jason Lee, who's in this movie. He she plays um Connie's girlfriend, and he has to like take her to the bail bondsman to get. Uh, Nick out of jail so he, he's like I gotta use your mum's credit card she's like oh is it only like a couple of thousand he's like yeah it's only a couple of thousand and it turns out to be ten thousand and she has to like call her mum cause like the card got declined she's like screaming at her mum like I just wanted to do something nice for someone why are you always like it's, this it, it definitely shows that like Connie can be very manipulating and like what you said Max it's he uses people to his own ends, yeah. And obviously, that that was a he's obviously very manipulative in this relationship that he has with um with his girlfriend. It was weird to see Jennifer Jason Lee in this as his girlfriend because Connie looks about uh like in his twenties, like late twenties or mid twenties in in the movie. But Jennifer Jason Lee, when she filmed this, was fifty five. It's like there's this weird like yeah. like really like you guys. <laughs> This just struck yeah, me as like, like you're living age. with your mum, are you? Really? You're acting like you're in your 20s. Maybe that was the point of the character. Yeah, I think Maybe. it was. Some people can be failures at 50, Max. Shames. <laughs> that is true. What a shame. There's a scene, I think it's like the second scene in the film I love, is the heist scene. Mm-hmm. What I love about it is just how simple it is. Like, I feel like a lesser director would have made it like a really huge action-packed sequence and had so much going on, but I liked that it was more tense and quiet. I thought it was a lot more engaging than what it could have been. Yeah. They're, they're wearing like these weird masks as well. They're just like, like featureless or like they look just like they don't have eyes, like latex masks that they've got over themselves. It makes it look really, really weird. Morpheus sunglasses on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I like the fact that, like, instead of, like, shouting, holding guns up, because they're not armed, but he, like, writes on this note, like, go out to the back and get more, we're armed. She's just like, yeah, right then. Sort of just goes out, gets him the money. Because that's, like, protocol for banks, I think. Mm. Probably. Whenever I worked in a shop, they'd be like, yeah, if you ever get robbed, just give him the money. Yeah. All right, <laughs> fair enough. Because you don't want anything bad to happen. Looked like they were standing in front of bulletproof glass, though, which I didn't really understand. Well, it's probably because there was customers in the bank and they'd get killed, shot up. Yeah, that's what I thought, maybe. But, but yeah, a very, very simple, simple heist scene, bank robbery scene. But um, even though it was very dumbed down on such a small scale, wasn't boring. It was a lot of tension throughout the scene. Yeah. I also looked at it after they um his brother opened the bag and got all the paint sprayed at him when they're in the Domino's toilets. Yeah. And he's 
trying to fucking get the paint off and he's getting his brother unchanged and he's like yeah we'll come out in two seconds just let me sort my brother out yeah and Nick's sort of freaking yeah. out as well because he doesn't really know what's yeah. going on all that much it's just like he's got like an inkling I love it. he's like, just, it's, yeah he's freaking out it's in my eyes I can't see I'm blind he's like no you're not you're fine <laughs> that's another thing about this movie I love like the colour palette of it all just like all the the, the pretty lights and like the 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 bread of the the gas that comes out of the the money thing when yeah. they pass over it's just like really saturated with these vibrant colors i really liked the part where they went so after he takes ray out of the hospital thinking it's his brother he's like um yeah we've got to get some money so we'll go back to where you stashed all your cash um in the amusement park and we'll take that and split it they go back there and he ends up um like beating up the security guard and taking his outfit and the guy ray just like fills his mouth with acid yeah so when the cops come he's like just chatting absolute (laughs) gibberish bullshit and i couldn't help but laugh i was like that's fucking amazing yeah Yeah, just like making random sounds it's just like yeah right (laughs) that's like overkill as well because like connie's just beating this guy to a pulp and then ray's like this motherfucker's not going to remember anything when he wakes up. He just pours like a, <laughs> a load of acid down, <laughs> LSD down his throat. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, like, for a second, I thought Ray's character was going to like kill him or something. Yeah. But I'm like, but, like I've got to say though, this security guard, the balls on this security guard, I would have stayed in the fucking office. He just starts chasing Connie's character <laughs> and just gets beaten up by him. But yeah, you really care about your job. Yeah. Just a security guard at an amusement park. Like, all right, whatever. What I will say though, the the unbelievable thing about that character is there's there's no way he is affording that apartment in New York that nice on the wage of a security guard. Yeah, for an amusement park. Absolutely not. <laughs> Maybe he works multiple like, jobs. Yeah. You never know. He's definitely doing some dodgy dealing on the side. Um, something I really love about the film is how they intentionally tried to make it super authentic. So basically the sets weren't closed off from the public. So like all the extras were just people of the general public just walking around unaware that they were being filmed. Um, And Robert Um, Patterson stayed in character the entire time, even when they weren't shooting. So you got moments like the hospital, that was like a real active hospital with actual patients in it. And there's also that the chase scene in the mall all the people standing around were real people and apparently um, some of the customers kept trying to stop the cops from chasing the actors. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shows the level of respect the cops have. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. you got to, you got to admire those people. Brilliant. But then when they found out, like, oh, you're, the, <laughs> you're being filmed for a movie, it's like, ah, oh, fuck, I was joking. <laughs> I wouldn't stop the cops. Yeah. As, as well as that, all pretty much all of the dialogue in the film is like completely improvised, apart from Connie and Nick. Basically, what the Safdies did is they, instead of writing like a proper script for the actors, they basically wrote out incredibly huge, detailed biographies for every single character and gave them to the actors and told them to draw from that and told them what their motivation for the scene was and everything, and basically the rough outline of what they needed to say but left it up to them to improvise it and come up with stuff. These guys are so See, good. These, guys, these are you know so what? brilliant directors. I'm pretty sure the same thing was done for the Blair Witch Project in terms that there wasn't the script they were just yeah. given. 
like your character's going to do this at some point. Like I've seen the Blair Witch Project, and obviously they're two different films, but fuck me, like the level, the 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 difference in level between those two films following the same structure is just incredible. Because like, good time. If if there wasn't a script and it was just literally the majority of it was improvised, that's fucking incredible. Yeah, I've seen quite a few films that do that similar thing, but I think this film does it better than any film I've seen. Everything just feels so natural. But you've also got to like admire it, like just how like it, the the directors had such an understanding of every single character to be able to do that, and then for the actors to be able to portray that, like literally. They must have went so in depth with these like biographies, and the actors must have spent so much time yeah. just trying to learn everything about these characters, down to like the mannerisms and just like how how they would act. It's incredible. With with Connie, they literally wrote a a biography of like every single year of his life from when he was born up until like the second before the film started. Oh my Jesus god! Jesus Christ. Imagine having to read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. So that is a lo- yeah, you've got to be dedicated. Gotta yeah, be. that's a lot of, like, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to have such an understanding of where that character needs to be and what that character is to be able to do stuff like that. But it pays off. It pays off in spades. Mm, definitely. I think what also adds to, like, the natural feel of the movie is, like, it's shot on film, so you get this sort of, like, grainy yeah. look to it a bit, so in it... Just enhances all the colours and like the skin tones as well. Just yeah, great. And all the camera shots are super like close to the characters. It's like ve- yeah. everything's so closely and tightly shot. That like, is, there's very few like long shots or anything like that. Everything's just so close to everyone. Yeah. Oh man, when I was Even watching when like the um the scene of them like trying to get the money for the bail, like um and then uh Jennifer Jason Lee is like shouting to her mother on the phone. The cameras are just so tight on each other and the characters' faces, you get this real sense of anxiety and chaos. Yeah, that scene was pretty stressful, where she's like in the background screaming on the phone. The guy's on the phone, the bail bonder's on the phone trying to figure out, he's on two phones trying to figure out where his brother is, and then Connie's just there like, have you found anything out? And then he's shouting back to his girlfriend, he's like, where the fuck is he? And he's like, I'm trying to find out. Just, yeah, it's a lot of stress. Um, something I really love about the film is the whole ending sequence. Like when you've got, there's that final police section where um, obviously Connie gets arrested and Ray jumps out of a window. Um, and then it leads into Nick who actually gets proper help. I think that final scene of him in the therapy, like doing that therapy session while the incredible Iggy Pop song plays. That whole sequence is super sweet and wholesome. It always yeah, puts thought, me in yeah, a good I mood, was, that last bit. I, I was going to say about um the the ending of this film, how just it was, yeah, very amazing. It was, just, it was a really good end, ending for the film. Just um where they're playing that Have You Ever game or like Cross the Room if you've done this. And like he's just stood there doing nothing. And then it's like... um. Like, have you ever been you? Have you ever been blamed for something that isn't your fault? And he's just like walking across the room. Like, you've definitely been used by your brother a lot. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot of like his thought process as well. It adds a lot to the character. It's just such good character development, without him ever having to say a word. I think it's very, very talented. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it is very, it's very wholesome and very nice to see that he's getting the help that he needs. I think Connie was sort of a. You see that he's such a bad influence on him 
and like maybe Connie does love him, but he's not good for him at all. Um, nah. That's like like a thing I love about the movie as well, is that with all this shit that Connie's getting into, just to get his brother back, at the end, none of it meant anything. It wasn't worth it, because he just goes to jail. And he yeah, he goes to jail, back. and obviously, I'm guessing he takes the whole entirety of the blame, which is why his brother is out of jail by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, I think they his therapist says that he did the right thing of taking the blame for everything. I say, yeah, I thought that was a good bit of character development for Connie's character that like he's just, he does care about his brother enough to not throw him under the bus, and at least. He realizes that I, I think in that moment he kind of realizes that even though he's not good for him, his brother can get help, which is yeah, he just takes the rap for it. And um, because throughout the whole entire film, especially like at the beginning of the film, he, he goes into the uh therapist's office and he just says to him, like, What the fuck are you doing? Do you think you're one of these? And it kind of gets the feeling that like Connie thinks he's the only one that really can look after his brother. And then by the end of it, it ends where exactly where it began his brother in a therapist's office and um, kind of learns or understands that maybe he's not the right person to be looking after his brother and he needs to put that responsibility onto someone else that can actually do it. Yeah, I love, That's what I got from the ending. I love the introduction of Connie yeah. as well. There's always like, like this weird zoom that goes on and I always love when I see this type of zoom in movies where it's just like this sort of handheld yeah, camera and then it just goes like hard zoom into the character's face. I just love that, that kind of zoom. I love seeing it. And also what we were talking about, like at the end, you see that everything's sort of fine now. And I think that the fact that Connie did take the rap and they're talking about how he did the right thing, it sort of uh, makes you think that the characters exist outside of the movie as well. Like after the movie's finished, these characters are still going to go on and develop in their own characters. So I really like that as well. It makes them a bit more fleshed out. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to add to the film? Um, no. I'll just say again, I couldn't believe it was Robert Patterson that was in this film. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked. All I can think of is him from Twilight yeah. and then doing this. That's how I was first just, time. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, like, yeah. You know, if I if I'd if I'd recognised it was Robert Patterson throughout this movie, I don't think my reaction would have been as shocked. But now that I watched the whole entirety of the movie, and you've just said it, like you see some actors, don't you? And they do like these roles, like at the beginning of the, their career or early in their career, and it's stuck with them. And like after Twilight ended, and I'd watched the movies, I was like, I don't think Robert Patterson's ever going to be able to recover from these roles. He's always going to be known as the sparkly vampire from Twilight. But then I like watch movies like these and I was, uh, and you just think like, damn, he's definitely broke the mold of being that, like that one dimensional person who just plays the same roles. But like Zac Efron would only ever, like you, him in high school musical, then 17 again. And then you see him in stuff like, I know Baywatch isn't like way outside of that spectrum of what he'd play, but it's not him singing in a basketball Jersey. Yeah, it's a shame to see so many people, I think, do still um, relate Robert Pattinson to the Twilight movies. Like, when he was announced for Batman, everyone was like, oh, what, the guy from Twilight? It's like, no, you haven't even seen, like, these other great movies that he's been in, that he's done a terrific job in. You don't even know the context of why he was hired to be Batman. 
I think if anyone has doubts at Robert Pattinson's being Batman, although I still have some doubts, um, I think if you need any convincing, watch this movie. Listen, maybe Lighthouse. Definitely watch The Lighthouse as well. Yeah. Yeah. It will just definitely show that that he he's not just this one-dimensional guy that plays a sparkly vampire from Twilight. No. He's definitely matured his acting as, like, massively. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Should we get on to ratings? Yeah, yep. let's give it a sparkly vampires. <laughs> no. Sure. Um, <laughs> I love this film. <laughs> Pretty much everything about it is perfect. I don't have any problems with it. This is my third time watching it, and first two times I would have given it a nine. But this time I'd give it ten sparkly vampires out of ten. A really incredible movie. Probably my favourite Safety Brothers movie to date. Yeah, it was alright. Uh, I've seen this movie <laughs> a few times now. Um, I like it, I guess. It's all, it's fine, I suppose. Um, Robert Pattinson's alright, I suppose. It's no, it's no Team Edward, but, you know, I get it. it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> He's going to give it a bad review because I gave his movie a bad review. Fucking grow up. I'm just joking. I love this movie. This is a fantastic movie. Um, <laughs> it definitely propelled the Safdie brothers into being a bit more recognised. And obviously they got uncut gems. I'm so excited to see what they do next. I'm going to give this 10 sparkly vampires out of 10. Jesus, another 10. Jesus. This is a good, mo- good week for you two, wasn't it? Bloody is. Not so much for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, we spoke about this film for the last, like, 45 minutes. You know how we feel about it. Um, I'm going to give this film eight and a half sparkly vampires out of ten. Epic. Actually, nice. actually, I'll change that to a nine. Change it to a nine. Nine. Epic. Round it up. Very very good movie. I, I would definitely recommend watching this movie more than Eyes Wide Shut or Paprika. Very cool. Very nice. Nice. So now, we bid you adieu, but before we do so, we have some recommendations for the next episode, where we've got our first guest, guest, uh, our good friend, Reed, and we wanted him to recommend a movie to watch and discuss with us, as well as our recommendations, thought that was only fair. So I'm just going to go yeah. off the, uh, right off the, the bat and re- uh, do his recommendation, which was the 2018 film directed by Matthew... Or, yeah, Matthew Holness called Possum. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what's going to happen next week, though? We're going to start this podcast, and Reed's going to be like, I only watched Possum, I didn't watch your movies. (laughs) (laughs) That's a shame. So, someone's got to really fucking tell him he's got to watch these movies. Yeah. Yeah, so Reed's recommendation is Possum for next week. So, I am picking a film that I've wanted to pick for a while, but it wasn't on, um, it's not on any streaming service, uh, and it's like impossible to buy in the UK or anything, so I had no clue how I'd get it, um, but I've, I've got it, I've burnt it off onto a few DVDs that I'm going to post to you guys, so you can watch it also. Um, it's going to be a very, very, Fucking very hell, divisive Chris. film. Ooh, it's going to be <laughs> I, a, wait, what? I it's, really, it's going to be a what? It's going to be a very divisive film. Okay. I don't know what you guys are going to think of it. Brilliant. Um, but I love it. 
I'm picking the 2009 film Enter the Void, directed by Ooh. Gaspar Noé. Nice. Mate, I just love the fact that Chris's just been like, yeah, I've illegally downloaded this movie and burn it on some DVDs. I'll send them to well. you guys. Like when I watched his, <laughs> his fucking movie review video, top 30 movies of 2020, it's like, reviewing this movie, it's like, I couldn't find it anyway. You didn't hear this from me, but it's really easy to torrent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, with this film, it is actually impossible to legally buy it in the UK. That's crazy. What's it called again? Enter, Enter the, the Void. Void. Yeah. I'll okay. look forward to getting the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my recommendation um, is a movie I've not seen in a very, very, very long time, so I honestly have no idea what any of us are going to think of it, but I've had the DVD for a while now. I've been meaning to rewatch it. Um, all, I, all I'll say is that no, I won't say anything about it. It's the 2013 movie directed by John S. Baird called Filth. Filth. Nice. Filth. Is that on any streaming services or am I going to need to borrow it off you again? Um, I'm not sure if it's on Amazon. I don't think it's on Netflix, but if if it's not on any of those, I've got the DVD. Just remember, keep your distance because I've got Rona. Yeah, I'll chuck it through the window. I don't even know. Make sure you, yeah, I was going to say, you got to sanitise these DVDs that I'm giving back to you as well. Yeah, I always, I always sanitise them before I give them to you, <laughs> just in case. Um, so we got Filth, Enter the Void, Possum, and my recommendation. So I'm trying to watch a bunch of movies that I've never seen before. Um, so I just Googled like the 100 best movies or top 100 movies and it uh, just works my way down the list. Uh, to find one that is on there that is also on like a streaming service. So I found one, um, and it's Close Encounters of the Third Card. I don't know if you guys have seen this. No. I have indeed. I, I've not seen it. It's on this list of top 100 movies of all time. It's on Netflix, so you don't have to buy it or struggle yeah. to find it. Um, is it a good movie, Chris? Are we going to enjoy it? Yeah. I've seen it a few times. So. Okay, then. That's good. So we got four movies next week, which means, which means, um, I've really got to stick to watching a movie every day of the week. Yeah. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then obviously we'll record on a on Thursday. But it's been a blast, guys. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And I please, really hope Chris puts. Please listen again. I really hope Chris. <laughs> I really hope Chris puts the first two failed attempts of you trying to do this intro into this podcast. <laughs> really, really upsetting. Really humanises humanises you, Mac. Shows that yeah. you make mistakes. We're all fallible. <laughs> we are indeed. But that'd be a long-ass intro if you kept those in. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it's, it's, already, it's already a long intro. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to make it any longer than it has to be. <laughs> Thanks. <All right. laughs> Thanks. Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye. Catch you next week. Okay, we're gonna do this. I've been practicing this all week. This is this is like one one at the one. All right, <clears throat> we all ready? Yeah, I'm recording. From from today, dialing nine 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 won't get you the emergency services, and that's not the only thing that's changing. <laughs> Nicer ambulances, faster response times. Fucking hell! I can't. I gotta start again. <laughs> Chris, put me. On. I'm gonna I'm gonna take these headphones out, and then I'm gonna do it again. Okay. <laughs> You're a card. One, two, three. From today, 
Dialing 999 won't get you the emergency services. And that's not the only thing that's changing. Nicer ambulances, faster response times, and better looking drivers. Meaning they're not just the emergency services, they're your emergency services. So remember the new number. 0118999881991972583 That's 0118999881991971923 Fuck Oh, so close that time. Fuck me. Okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to nail it this time. Third time's a charm. Promise. Fuck me. I'm fucking, I'm shaking from this monster already. Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. What is Three, this? What is this from? Two. One. <laughs>